Good morning. As Prash said, this morning it's Psalm 33. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. 
Thanks, Penny and Sandra. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? Uh, my name's Matt. It's great to be with you here in person. Uh, this is really live, isn't it? Yeah, it's live. And it's great to be with you uh, live wherever you are. If you're on YouTube, Facebook, joining us this morning, uh, it's great to be with you. Thanks for joining us. And you'll be able to do that uh, for forever, we hope. Uh, well, I want you, I'd love, if you've got your Bible out or your app on your phone, I'd love for you to have that out uh, for the next 20 minutes or so, because we're going to look at Psalm 33 together, that psalm that Karina read out for us. Thank you, Karina, for doing that. Uh, and I just want to look through it with you this morning, uh, because I want to I ask this question to you this morning, which I think is especially appropriate in our time and place. Who do you trust? Who do you trust it can be very difficult at the moment to work out who to trust, can't it? I mean, Australia uh, was, was really engaging with China over the last number of years, making that really important. And at the moment, China seems, on a global political level, quite rogue. On the other hand, we've had this long-standing relationship with America. Uh, and America just seems incredibly unstable at the moment, doesn't it? And what about closer to home? What about your experience of trying to stay safe. Uh, it can be very hard to know who to trust. The government says one thing, uh, and the news says another, and then, I don't know about you, but friends, you know, or family often say another thing as you socialise with them. I was walking past, I was walking to a restaurant the other night, it was just last night actually, and I, I looked in and I thought, gee, that looks great, it looks like everybody's having a party, a good time, and I thought for a moment, I thought, ooh, 
Maybe there's a problem with that. And I thought, it's probably good for them and for their little economy, but is it good for me? And I've realized I've got this little, I've got an arm's length of distance, not just physically with people at the moment, but in terms of my trust. I've got a little bit of skepticism at the moment, whether it's the government, whether it's news, whether it's friends. I don't know who to trust. This psalm, Psalm 33, is about trust, and it's about why you can trust God with your life. While you can put your whole life in his hands, there should be no arm's length distance between God and our trust with him. How can you trust him? Well, I was doing some research uh, on trust and looking at uh, how we know we can trust a person in our relationships with them. And of course, where did I go? I went to Google to figure out how I was going to trust someone. Hey, it's okay to laugh, by the way. I know my joke, jokes aren't that funny. We might have to keep an arm's length physically. It's okay. We can't sing. It's okay to laugh. Can I get a, an amen? It's okay to talk, too. You can do that. Uh, anyway, I went, to a web, I went to Google, how do, you tr- how do you know you can trust someone? And a website came up called lifehack.something. I thought, great. And it said this. It said the secret to testing someone's character, to figuring out whether you can trust them, is to reserve judgment, to take your time, to observe them in certain situations, to look at how they react, to listen to them talking, joking, laughing, explaining, complaining, blaming, praising, ranting and preaching. Only then will you be able to test their character. And I thought that's exactly actually what this psalm, what God himself is saying for us to do with him, to observe him. And I want want to tell you this this morning. You can observe God. You can observe his character. Because he wants you to trust him. Not with some skepticism. He wants at the end of the day for you to be able to sing for joy, to shout for joy. Because he is trustworthy. Uh, And so I want to look at this this psalm with you. Have a look at Psalm uh, 33, verse 4. It says this, it says, For the word of the Lord is right and true. He's faithful in all he does. It says, The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. The psalmist from the, from the get-go is making this point. It's saying, God is like no other person. He's like no, no one else. It says, His word is right and true. His word is straight. It's untwisted. It's never deceiving. His word is good. His actions are good as well. His actions match his words. He's faithful in all he does, verse 4. More than that, going deeper into who God is, not just his words are good or his actions lining up with his words, but he says his motivations, God's motivations are good. It says here, he loves doing justice. He loves doing the right thing by all. And the psalm is is now going to show us that from beginning to end, this is what God is like. And he actually starts by showing us how we can know that God is trustworthy. How can we know that his, his words match his actions, his actions match his words, and that his motivations are trustworthy? How can we know that? At the end of verse 5, the earth is full of his unfailing love. In other words, you can see it. And he goes back to creation. He goes back to what biblical scholars call creation, what we know as everything we can see, touch, taste, feel, hear, everything we can sense. The psalmist will go there and he'll say, in creation, you can see that God is trustworthy. And what he wants to say about creation is is two things. The first thing is, 
how God made the world. And he says here in verse 6, he says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, the starry host by the breath of his mouth. He wants us to remember God is trustworthy because of how he made the world. How did he make it? He made it by his word. He, made it, he has this sheer power. You and I have to strive to achieve things, don't we? We have to work hard, sometimes for months on end, for, for life to come to order around us. And just sometimes it goes our way. But it says here, God's words, his mere breath is universe forming. Such is God's power. The other thing uh, the psalmist wants us to remember is not that, that just God is capable, that he's powerful, and he has just that much power that just with a few words he's created everything we can make. He wants to tell us that, but he also wants to remind us that God is trustworthy because of what creation is like, because of our experience of this world. Have a look at verse 7. It says, He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Of course, this is referencing back to Genesis, uh, that first part of the Bible that describes how God made the world. It says he spoke it into being, but then it says he gathers the waters into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. And it's this blue, beautiful image, isn't it, of how big God is in comparison to the universe. But it's, it's more than that it's, as well. It's saying to us that this world is useful. This world is good. Uh, what do you put in jars? What do you put in storehouses? You put resources there to bring out and use, to make things out of. Yesterday I made a cake for my son's first birthday and I got it out of jars. We don't have storehouses, but I got it out of cupboards. And the idea here is that God is trustworthy because the world that we have is, is good. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's amazing. You can bring things together to make beautiful things, let alone just enjoy its sheer beauty as it is in itself. This psalm wants to ask you a question this morning, and that is this, what in creation reminds you of his love? What in the beauty of this world reminds you of God's love? Is it food? Uh, the staff team went out for, we have a lunch religiously every Monday uh, together, but we decided to go into Chatswood and just enjoy the local cuisine, and we had dumplings, and they were good. Is it food that reminds you of God's love for you, that his world sustains you, his world supports your life, that's how much he loves you? Uh, is it friendship? You know, maybe you can look beside you this morning, at home, on the internet, uh, maybe it's here in church, maybe there's a friend, and friendship just reminds you, actually, God hasn't just given us a world, he's given us a world with friends. What a good God he is. Uh, for me, it's fishing. I know that sounds a little trite. Again, you can laugh, right? Uh, for me, it's fishing. Uh, and what I'm actually going to say is it's the beauty of God's world. Uh, Naomi and I and Leif went on holidays a couple of weeks ago. I bought a new fishing rod and I escaped for an hour. Uh, every time Leif was asleep during the day, I escaped for an hour to go fishing. And I had a wonderful time, caught lots of fish. Anyway, I come back to Sydney and my soul, after about a week of being here, I just craved green and blue again. I don't know whether that's you, but that's me. I crave green and blue. At the end of every week, I kind of need that. 
And Naomi, Leif was asleep Saturday afternoon, and she goes, hey, go out, maybe find somewhere to fish. And I'm like, you're kidding me? Like, it's Chatswood. Yes, you laughed. Good. It's great to have you here. Anyway, I went down to Middle Harbour, five minutes from my house. And there is green and there is blue. And I had this moment where I'm like, actually, God could have created a cardboard kind of world, couldn't he? Kind of flat and brown, a bit grey, maybe a little bit sticky in some places, a bit sharp on the edges, a bit tasteless. But he didn't. He created Middle Harbour. And I believe he created fish there. I haven't seen them yet. I believe he created fish there too. But that reminds me that that God cares for me. You know what? The very ground that you stand on should remind you that God is trustworthy because there's something here. God is trustworthy. He's created a world that is good. He's created a world by his power. He's trustworthy. Uh, But more than that, and perhaps the psalmist is guessing our intuition at this moment where we think actually not the whole world is good, is it? And perhaps he's guessing our response to this moment and he turns, he changes his tack and he says, actually, God is good, not just, be, not just because of creation, but God is good because he has plans for his world, for his universe that endure, plans that prevail, plans that will never fail. And you can see that God is trustworthy because his plans never fail. Have a look at verse 10 of Psalm 33. It says, the Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. He's talking about his enemies in that moment. But then in verse 11, it says, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. What the psalmist is telling us is that whatever happens in life, God has a a plan and his purpose always prevails, whatever happens in life, even when things seem impossibly congruent with what God wants. We're reminded by this unshakable truth. The plans of the Lord stand firm forever. And I know that is hard to hear. It's even harder to say in a COVID world. Is this a part of God's plan? How is God's plan standing firm during COVID-19? Is this in our generation, uh, his, the purposes of his heart here now? And I don't know how to draw simple lines between the two. I don't know how to draw simple lines between your exact experiences and God's exact plan for your life. I'm not that smart or kind. But what I can tell you, what we can tell one another What God's word has to tell us today is that his plan stands firm forever, no matter what is happening in your life. And here's a truth that you need to know and that you already are aware of, I'm sure. Your purposes for your life won't always stand firm, will they? Your purposes for today might change. You, You might get a text during this service They might tell you that your plans later on today for lunch are going to change. You might find out something in the next few hours that means that your family is going to change. You might find out very soon that your life is going to change in a dramatic way. Perhaps you'll find out how long you have to live. But God's purposes, which flow from a loving heart, an unfailing, an unfailingly loving heart, 
His purposes stand forever and they stand firm. And that you are a part of his plans and purpose, that is a rock to stand on. Now, a good question at that point would be, well, what are God's plans? What are his purposes? What are God's plans for me then? And this is where the psalmist goes next. Uh, Have a look at verse 12. What happens here in the psalm is that the psalmist narrows things down. He's talked about all of creation, God's great plans. But then, in order to answer the question, well, what are God's plans for us? How can we trust his plans? Even if they stand firm, they might be for evil, are they for good? How can we trust them? He narrows in on a small group of people called Israel in the Bible, God's chosen people then. And it says this in verse 12, it says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. And what he's about to say is that their experience of God is testimony to his unfailing love for them and for his whole world. And what happens, commentators actually say, once you know that this psalm is actually about God's people in a way, you can go back to verse 1 and read through the whole thing again and you can read that it's not just the story of creation, but it's actually their personal story, their story. And, for example, you look at verse 7, a verse that says, He gathers the waters of the sea, He spoke and they stood firm, verse 9. And you start thinking back through Israel's history and you can remember their escape from Egypt and how they escaped through the Red Sea. You remember that moment? Israel, God's people, had been in slavery to this wicked empire for hundreds of years. Pharaoh lets them go, and they escape, and they're camping between Egypt and a desert. And Pharaoh has a change of heart. He thinks, this is a pretty bad idea to let my slaves go. Uh, And so he comes after them. The Bible says, with 600 chariots and all the chariots of Egypt. And Israel, of course, are terrified and they're angry at Moses. They kind of say to Moses, hey, it's because Egypt had no graves that you brought us out to the desert to bury us, you know. They're angry at God and at at Moses. And Moses says to the people, don't be afraid, stand firm, for today you will see the deliverance of the Lord. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And we're told in that moment, a great east wind blows and it separates the, the Red Sea in half and dry land appears and Israel escape through it. And on that day when the Israelites see the mighty hand of the Lord, we're told they put their trust in him. And then you listen to the rest of the psalm, verse 16. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his own strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who hope in his unfailing love. That's what's happening in that story there. That story reminds God's people, as the people sing it together, that God is good to them, that his plans for them are good to save them, to save them from death. That's what God is up to. This psalm, right at the beginning, says, Sing to the Lord a new song. And it's probably because not only is Israel remembering something in their history, but because they're seeing God at work in their life each and every day. And there's many acts of God saving them throughout history. But there is one special act, one universal act, 
Forgive me while I find my place here. There's one special place in history that points to the goodness of God like no other. There's another act, a greater act of deliverance from death, not just for Israel, but for all of God's people. And the New Testament writers, they look at Jesus and they actually pick up the words from this psalm to describe him and what he has come to do. John, uh, the evangelist writing the Gospel of John, he calls Jesus God's word, not just to talk about his power, but to talk about how God's word that is right and true comes into our world and lives a right and true life and doesn't just speak, but lives among us, lives among us doing righteous things, doing just things as he heals people and as he helps people. And then as nations try to thwart God's plans and Jesus is on a cross because they want to crucify him, moments later, many of them realise actually this was all a God, part of God's plan. And as they observe Jesus, as they look at him, they realise actually we're seeing right into the heart of God. We're seeing his motivations. We're seeing that the earth is full of his unfailing love in Jesus. Now, what's supremely great about the trustworthiness of God that we see in Jesus is just this, that even when you and I fail him, even when we fail God, he will never fail us. He doesn't fail us. Such is the trustworthiness of God. And the Bible, you might think maybe it's a book where there's people in there who perfectly obey God and everything goes right for them or something like that. Nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible is a book that is a story of human failure. It's a human, it's a story of their failure. It's a story of our failure. But that God, through human failure, fulfills his plan for us, his unloving plan. He shows us that the world is full of his unfailing love. So God is trustworthy in creation, in how he's made the world, in what the world is like. He's trustworthy that his plans never fail. And we especially see that as we look at his people, the experience of God's people, who are saved, not because they never fail him, but because he never fails them, even when they fail him. God is seen to be trustworthy. The psalmist wants to end by giving us a personal question, a question for us today. And that is that's this, how do you know you are trusting him? How do you know you're trusting him? How do you know you trust his trustworthiness? And in verse 20 and 22, we get the people's response. It's as if there's been this call to praise God for his trustworthiness, and then you get their response at the end. And they say, we wait for his unfailing love. They're patient. They say, we rejoice, verse 21. In him, our hearts rejoice. We trust in his holy name. And then verse 22, may your unfailing love be with us, even as we wait for you. In other words, we want you to be with us now. How do you know you trust God? You, you, you wait, you're patient. And your smile, you're able to smile while you're waiting, while you're patient. 
I want to see whether I can sum up our response to God in a little story, a little allegory from my own life recently. Uh, You might be aware that even just in the beginning of COVID, during the first eight weeks of COVID-19, there was an increase by 80% year on year in online shopping. And I have to confess, part of that is my fault. I joined in with the rest of the world. I bought a desk for home. I needed to set up a, a, a home office, right? And anyway, it was a big desk, and I made some changes. And so it was going to come, I, I knew, it was going to come in a few different installments over a few different days or weeks. Anyway, uh, what happened was uh, it did come in many different parts. And as the days and weeks went on, I actually grew a bit of a relationship with the delivery man. It was the same company, you know. We were seeing each other quite a bit. And uh, on about four of the five parts had finally arrived. And on the, the last day, I got a little text message. You know how you get it? It says, your parcel's about to arrive. I was all excited. I could finally put the whole desk together. And I went downstairs when it said, your parcel's arrived. And uh, there's a glass door. And behind the glass door was my delivery man, my friend, and he wasn't holding anything. And my heart sank. I opened the door. What's going on? He said, look, I know where it is. I'll go back to the storehouse and I'll get it. And whatever happens, you'll see me tomorrow. And at that moment, you know, we build up this, this relationship. At that moment, I turned around. Despite my disappointment that I couldn't put my desk together that day, I went upstairs, I saw my wife, and she's like, what, you know, we'd been hoping this desk would arrive. And I I was able to smile. I said, I saw my friend, he didn't have my parcel, but he said to me, no matter what happens, you'll see me tomorrow. No matter what happens, you'll see me tomorrow. And I thought to myself, actually, that is what God is like with us sometimes. And what trusting him is like. Even when we don't have everything we could want. We can say, it's okay. I know that God cares about me more than I care about myself, just like my delivery man. He cares more about my package than I care. That God will turn up, that he's faithful in everything he does, that he's good, that he's loving, he's kind. And there's one thing even more special than just knowing that God's got my back, and that's this. On that last day that I saw my friend down at the front door, I thought to myself, you know what, if it wasn't COVID-19, I would love to take him out and have a beer with this guy. I'd love to get to know him. And I know that's just a little bit short of creepy. (laughs) But, thank you for laughing. But I thought actually, no, relationships are more important than things. I love this guy. I love the fact that he's just cared so much about me and my life and my little details. I want to get to know him. I want to share some time with him. The giver is more important than the gifts. And that's where this psalm ends. May your unfailing love be with us, even as we hope in you. We see God is trustworthy in creation. We see he's trustworthy in his never-failing purposes for the world. We see he's trustworthy in the salvation he's given us. But it all brings us back to him. And because he's dependable, we want to be with him. And so God is trustworthy. Who do you trust? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, with the psalmist, we pray this morning 
May we know. May your unfailing love more than that. May your unfailing love be with us, even as we hope in you. Amen.